Final Fantasy was best Final Fantasy. Well, I haven't played all the Final Fantasy. But you've played a lot of Final Fantasies. I've played what? What did I play? You played one, one two, three, four. I played five. Through six. You played six. I started seven. You played a lot of twelve. I did play a lot of twelve. And you've played. The... Did I played ten. Did you really no. play one, two, three, four, five? I yeah. played through six. When they re-released oh, through them, six. When they re-released them all on uh, Game Boy Advance. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I played them all, and then I played. Tried to play seven on your PS One, didn't I? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was. I was. I just. It was. I had moved on at that point. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I know seven was a popular one, but yeah, I could never get into seven. But I, I played eight before, and I really liked eight. And then I went back to seven. And I was like, I don't know. See, I played seven, which was awesome. Right. And then I tried to play eight, and I was like, I hate this magic system right away. Oh, the magic system is busted. Delete. It's very busted. Well, I thought it was interesting when I first started playing video games. Really was well, pl- like really playing them was Final Fantasy. Yeah. And I really liked the turn-based system because I was like, oh, this is less intimidating. I can actually do this. Now I find the turn-based system incredibly boring. And I tried to play 12 because it's sort of somewhere in between turn-based and more like actual, like just continuous action or whatever you want to call it. Sure. But even that, like at this point, you know, because it still had like a bar, it was still ticking down. It's just interesting how much it's changed. I think Final Fantasy 15, which I haven't played, Wait, is 15... Yeah, 15. That was the one that came out most recently. Is a uh, real-time game like Kingdom Hearts. I yes, think the, the battle is, is, King- is Kingdom Hearts-based, but the story is garbage-based. Well, well, the story is Final Fantasy-based. But it's... No, that's not true, because I've played plenty of them, and I love most of the stories. This one... No Final Fantasy game has a good story. Hot take. Uh, it's all the same story essentially there is not a single Final Fantasy game that has a story that holds up to any amount of scrutiny find the crystals disagree they're very basic and simple stories I, I disagree on that well I mean like the pr- not, not the premise or like what happens but like what is the, the end- story of Final Fantasy 7 Garof I didn't really play 7 <sighs> sorry uh, yeah I, I never I like the art is interesting. Yeah, the music is usually pretty good. Great. I was actually talking about this earlier. I I was talking about how when a new video game comes out, I'm not necessarily excited, even if it's like a property that I like, because I care more about the gameplay. For a video game, I want to do gameplay that is fun, that feels good to play, that's mm-hmm. engaging. If it's also something that I'm interested in, great. But I'm more interested in, in how the gameplay feels. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. Story can matter, I suppose. But, like, to me, if Final Fantasy XV plays like Kingdom Hearts, I would probably really like it. Mm-hmm. No matter what. Okay. Because I love the way Kingdom Hearts plays. Yeah, you'd like it. Mm-hmm. So okay. Well, then I guess we've decided that Megan should play Final Fantasy XV. Yeah. And that's what our next podcast episode will be about, but that's not what this podcast episode well, well, is wait, about. Wait, wait, wait. Before, we should let everybody know who we are. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should. So, hi, everybody. We're Experience Pointers, and we are a trio of RPG GMs and gamers, and uh, we're here to talk about just some tips and tricks for your RPG games. So, hopefully, you can use them whenever you run a game. Uh, my name is Megan. My name is Jordan. My name is Garab. And today we're actually talking about how to support your players. Well, slow your roll there, Megan. Oh, I'm sorry. Because we have one thing we need to do before we get into what it is we're going to talk about. Oh. And that is... High five. Nope. No. After that... Oh, oh. We need to deliver a message from our sponsor. Ah, uh, yes. That's right. This episode of Experience Pointers is brought to you by... Uh, Benjamin Danish. Ben Danish. All right. Mm. And uh, he has submitted a pun of the sode for us. All right, I'm ready. So this is the Ben Danish pun of the sode. Mm. Why is the cost of balloons so much higher now than it was when you were a child? Inflation. Inflation. That is correct. Boom! Got it! Inflation. Because of inflation. Got well in done, Garav. Well done. Hole in one on the pun of the sode. I feel like Megan had that too. Yeah, I did. I just didn't shout it like Hole drop. in two. Hole in two for Megan. Hole in one for Garav. And thanks very much to Ben Danish for your continued sponsorship of Experience Pointers. Thanks, Ben. Yes, Try thank harder. you. <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, All right. no. Light in the sand. Yeah. All right, Megan. Sorry, you were saying what this what this episode was about. Well, this episode is about supporting your players in all the various different ways you can do that, uh, and I think that that's probably kind of a broad statement. So let's kind of get into what we mean by that. Uh, and I think the the first thing that we really want to talk about, 
Well, let's break it down this way. So whenever you sit down to play an RPG game, in my experience, most people who want to play RPGs want to create a character that maybe is something more than them or is something that is interesting to them or is exciting. Is maybe something they don't feel like they can do themselves. So they want to create a character that maybe is more intimidating than they are or is a better fighter or is more creative or, or whatever it is that they may deem they can't do. And that is definitely a one one perspective of approaching uh, RPGs. It can be many different things. So yeah. I'm not trying to limit it in that way. I'm just saying that I think that there's a, there is uh, a tendency for people to want to sit down and play and create this character that uh, is is something that they want to put into action that maybe they haven't felt they could in some other way. But what I mean, we're it's, trying it's to, escapism. It it's is a, a form of escapism. Yeah, that's why that's that's why we play games a lot to to be something different and mm-hmm. to experience things that we can't experience in real life. Right, and I think that that is a very important aspect of it. And I think that as the GM, you get to, and in my opinion, should support your players in that endeavor because, uh, as I think I've maybe we've mentioned before, you know, whenever you watch this really cool like. Uh, uh, character in a movie or TV show or even a video game, there's a writer behind that character to make them that awesome, to to come up with the cool things that they say and the cool things that they can do. You know, somebody created that. It's a lot harder to do that sitting at the table. And it's very easy to put those expectations upon yourself and then be discouraged when you feel like, ah, I didn't come up with the the best intimidating statement I should have. Or, you know, I, I, I didn't uh, hit that guy hard enough or in the coolest way or whatever it might be. And I really think as GMs and players, but as GMs, we have the ability to help support the players at the table to realize those characters. Yeah, and we we don't make a lot of like hard and fast, assertive, objective statements on experience pointers because a lot of times when we're talking about stuff, we will always add the caveat that what works for your table is the most important way to do like there's there's very little hard and hard solid advice for rpgs that is going to work in every situation right but i do think that all gms should always make an effort to support your players in playing the characters in the way they want to portray them yeah you should always be doing that as a gm yeah i think so i think it creates it's, I think it goes a long way in creating a really positive atmosphere at your game table and something that's enjoyable, hopefully for you as well as them. Because to me, one of the best things is is that sort of camaraderie that, you know, like you're working together to create something that everybody's excited about. And that is a great feeling. And I think that's really, I think, what we all want at our game table at the end of the day in the various mm-hmm. different ways that that can manifest. So one of the first things that I think we should talk about with that is uh, descriptions. And that can be a lot of things. It can be describing a killing blow. It could be um, describing, like I said, intimidation, how uh, thing, things along those lines. Um, yeah. I think we can expand upon that as well. well. So, so I think one of the things about uh, tabletop RPGs is it is largely an, an orally presented uh, gameplay experience. Mm-hmm. So um, we are all... It, kind of creating a improvised audio drama that lives only in everyone's collective imagination at the table. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it can cause some some issues and some, some anxieties and some stress at the table for some people because they have a hard time putting into words the things that they want their characters to do. Right. So you might have some players at your table who are like, I want to, like, you know... Uh, strike the killing blow on this orc in in like some sort of cool acrobatic way but that's like the most they can do in the moment to come up with the way they want to do it Mm -hmm. and then as a gm there are ways you can support that right yeah i i think that you can and actually jordan you were talking recently or today about uh an uh it was a poll that you found that was talking about um it was essentially asking gms how often in a game do you offer those descriptions and how often does your player, or, or in comparison to how often your player does, yeah, it was and the, why? It was Matt Colville asking that question on Twitter. Yeah, oh. 
Which is a cool question, and it's kind of interesting. Um, and then there was a lot of discussion on it, right? There was, but also the, the, the by and large, the result of that poll was that GMs more often do the description in combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes sense uh, for a few reasons. One might be that uh, the GM might want to keep with the tone of the game better than the player would. Because like if sometimes if you give a player a chance to describe something, they might do an amazing job and do something that fits their character and fits the world and fits the, the theme of whatever is happening at that moment. But sometimes you might get a player that's like, I jump 20 feet in the air and fart and that guy dies. And you're like, whoops, that doesn't fit this at all. Sure, sure. But I'm going to say at that point you have larger issues than who <laughs> describes what in combat. Because... Yeah. And I think you you said an interesting thing here, Gaurav, that I'm going to disagree with. What? Which is that um, making those descriptions in combat allows the GM to control the tone of the game. But the tone of the game should ideally be controlled by everyone at the table Mm -hmm. collaboratively. Mm -hmm. I think a GM sets guideposts for that. But then the players kind of show the GM how willing they are to go along with that and how far. So like a GM, as GMs, it's important to remember that we are not the only people responsible for for the game, which goes back to session zeros, which we've talked about before. Right. Like, it, however, if you have all collectively decided we're going to play a gritty, like realistic, high damage, you know, uh, kind of blood and guts campaign. And then one of your players is consistently going, I jumped 20 feet in the air and fart on him and he dies. Well, great. Good thing they're taking the initiative to be creative about their combat (laughs) skills. You have uh, a larger communication issue there. Um, But I I do think that uh, GMs should kind of extend out a bit that ability to create and describe combat. Um, but I don't think players are always willing to jump in and do that or don't even new players don't even know how to describe that kind of stuff in combat. So I think GMs can kind of set those expectations for their players and then start extending opportunities to bring the players into that. So to me, when you're dealing with uh, something like this in which you've got a bunch of people coming together to create together, uh, there is a kind of vulnerability that comes with that. It's just like you find in an acting class or improv and anything like that or anything along those lines. Any any art class, really, whenever you're essentially going, here's this thing I created and you're showing it to people. Playing an RPG is similar. And for some people, and I am one among them sometimes, it can be intimidating and scary to put yourself out there in that way. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I I think that it's great to try and, and go out of your comfort zone and stretch that. But to me, playing a game, you should be able to come and play it the way you want to. And, and you know, within reason, without like, uh, harming somebody else's fun, but um, and and feel comfortable. And if for someone their comfort is in not ever having a character voice, not maybe even ever speaking with that character voice, never describing, they prefer their GM to do it. I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's an element of like, well, they don't feel like they can because the GM's never allowed them, then that's an issue. Or if it's like, hey, do you want to try it? And they're like, oh, well, I never thought about it before, and they try it and they love it. Great. But to me, uh, a lot of this, a lot of that kind of stuff this particular question of, you know, does the GM describe or does the player describe, I think is really more communication thing, which is what you're saying. Because yeah. to me, if you have created that that positive environment, you're all on the same page. Everybody feels like they can talk about stuff. They can go, hey, I want to do this. Everyone has ownership of the game together. I don't feel like that issue comes up as much because I feel like then the player goes, you know what, I want to describe this one. And the GM goes, great. Or, you know, the GM will describe, like, I feel like the player feels like they have the ability to to jump in when they want to and vice versa. It creates that essentially safe environment to be able to play however it is that you're going to play. And and I think, honestly, that's part of supporting your players. That, yeah. that is mm-hmm. is one element, which really is more of a discussion in Session Zeroes like we had. Um, but, but I think as far as at least that particular poll goes, to me, that's really what can benefit that more than you should allow your players or, or, or players should step in more to describe. So kind of taking this back to uh, how how you can use description to support your players. Can mm-hmm. we try something? Okay. So like, let's say the example that I gave earlier, like mm-hmm. a player who struggles with description mm-hmm. says, I want to uh, kill this, this deal the death blow to this orc in like a really cool acrobatic way. Mm-hmm. What might you do as a GM to support that player utilizing description? Uh, okay. So <clears throat> I think that I, I mean, it would depend upon a lot of things. So let's say that this, you said uh, I was going to 
kill an orc with a death blow with in a, in a cool and a really cool, a cool acrobatic way. way. So I would probably like. It, so let's say this person is a ranger and they're using a bow and arrow, and I think I would say uh, I would do something where they like. Uh, maybe there's other other people in the area, and I'd say so. You, as you see that this orc just needs one more blow or whatever it might be, uh, you you see another orc is coming right at you and instead you do a flip uh running towards the wall that is near the orc and you run along the wall to get past two other people who are trying to hit you and you just as you jump off the wall you pull your bow and it goes right through his eye uh and he uh, something like that and you you see him stand there for a little bit blood starts pouring out of his eye and he dies so that something is, along those lines i don't know that's that's one way you can <laughs> cool. do it you can supplement for the player you can describe their actions in a way that are more detailed and direct and cinematic so that you have shown them the cool acrobatic way that their character killed that orc mm -hmm. but garaf you have talked about before sometimes how you feel like as a GM you struggle with description in games. Uh -huh. So like if you were the GM in that situation and the player was like, I kill uh, this orc in a really cool acrobatic way, would you feel comfortable then on the spot kind of coming up with an improvised cool acrobatic way for that player to kill that orc? Or would you want to try some sort of different approach to that? I mean, what different approach is there oh, other well. than... I happen to have one in mind. Oh, okay. Because you should. I, I honestly don't know. But in that situation, I'm curious. Before I say what I'm thinking, what would you do in that situation well, as a GM? I'd probably describe it the way Megan did, but I, I don't think there is another. What is you describe it the exact same way Megan did? <laughs> I mean, yeah, line that, by line. That's what I was thinking in my a, head. That's I mean, a go-to. I think. So when you're asking, is there another way to describe this? Are you asking if that is the only no, 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 way no. that a character could have killed no, an orc? Absolutely not. There's I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. I just want to know what. Seriously, tell me what this is because so, I feel like you're making this up no no not at all so i would say because uh, not all gms are great at descriptions like that some gms much like some players uh have a hard time coming up with these sort of like evocative descriptions on the spot but i guarantee you there's probably at least one person at your table who enjoys doing that kind of stuff and sometimes all it takes is for someone to get something started so you can actually turn something like that into a collaborative exercise for the table as a whole so some players like um I want to kill, I want to do the death blow on this orc in a acrobat, in a cool acrobatic way, and you're having a hard time with that, you can throw it out and be like, okay, cool, like, what might be some cool um, elements to that? And then a player might be like, ooh, you could, like, run up the wall and then shoot them, and another player would be like, no, 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 uh, so you, like, you run, you run up the wall and then, like, do, like, a, like, a long ways wall run, like in Prince of Persia, uh, <laughs> with your bow out while you're running along the wall to shoot it, and then at that point, there are ideas flowing and someone at the table maybe even the original player maybe the gm might spark on something in that and go oh okay no 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 no, i don't do that what i do instead is this but then everyone has kind of worked together to come up with that and no one necessarily feels singled out oh. uh, there's there's yeah. you can kind of crowdsource those sorts of things um because you have access to that group think at yes. a table in that way i also think that 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 kind of stuff comes back to that feeling of um of of acceptance and, and essentially a safe space because i i for me and i know not everybody reacts the way that i do but when i'm anxious my brain shuts down i lose the ability my, there's just nothing there i lose the ability to describe in that way sure so it but if i feel like i'm in a place in which whatever i describe it's not like everything i say no matter what it is is going to be great and everybody's going to respond positively but that i know i'm not going to be like someone's not going to go that was stupid really that's what you think to me if i feel like i've got an environment where i'm allowed to try something even if it's not quite right i'm much my brain is going to give me more and i think that that is an instance of that too if it's like well i'll throw it out to other people and they're like well i can just throw out ideas and any idea is something that you know nobody's going to shun me for the other thing that that does too is it encourages it basically reinforces for everyone at the table we are all here to support one another mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. basically reinforcing that concept by going like hey how does how do you think this other player did that in a cool way mm -hmm. um 
Also a small disclaimer on this note though, for GMs and players alike, not every single move in a combat needs to be fully yeah. flowery oh, yeah. described. Oh, yeah. Sometimes hits are just slashes, yeah. they're just stabs, they're just, like, I, I think as your group starts to play and you start to figure out your own rhythm and stuff, you'll start to find the places where it makes more sense to be more descriptive of mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. and where it's just okay to be like, I cut it with my sword, let's move yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, if it's like, if you're doing like, if you're fighting something new and you slash your sword and something different happens that doesn't normally happen when you slice something like it's acid blood spurts out yeah something like that or like it's wound heals immediately to tell you that that didn't do anything like, yeah if it's telling a story uh or it's just a cool death killing blow that's cool too but it doesn't need to be everyone like yeah you said. don't let description get in the way of moving the story yes. forward yeah yes but, for sure but but that i think is one way that you can um support your players mm -hmm. with by by giving giving um, a more specific concrete voice to yes. the things that they are generally saying they want to do well and that's an opportunity yeah to be like like you know somebody like my my character in uh, uh black bag vikings i had birna the the viking you know the arrogant viking battle warrior lady whatever you want to i forget what they're called what are they called i think that's the shield technical main. term <laughs> it is but also shield man battle warrior ladies. anyway um but for her like for me i it was interesting because sometimes i can get um my anxiety can kick in and i i'm like i can't think of anything but for whatever reason for her i always had something in mind i was like she comes in and she takes her sword and she like shoves it right in this guy's uh, the soft spot under his jaw and just pushes up you know whatever i had all kinds of things uh, and that was so much fun and it uh, it it was a great way to uh create this character like you know I, I don't know how to fight like that with a sword i'm not you know some big tough arrogant viking woman that was cool warrior that was battle cool. lady <laughs> War, <laughs> battle. <laughs> um you know but but for somebody else they might go oh i really want to play this character but i can't think like that and the opportunity for the gm to go cool i'll, I'll throw some stuff at you is just it, it 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 just allows the player to go wow i did that you know yeah. And that's that to me is such a positive benefit of RPGs and so important. Yeah. It's such a big deal and can really mean a lot to somebody. Yeah, those are the stories that people take away from the table or yes. the cool way that they did a thing. And if you yeah. can help someone more fully realize that, yeah. that's a really cool thing you can do as a I GM. Think so. Yeah, definitely. And I oh, did you have something else? I was gonna I was gonna segue to the next well, one. Well so was I. You, oh, okay. How well, fancy of you go. Who's gonna do it first? <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, so that Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that um that that kind of segues into the next point, which is uh, the way the world reacts to somebody. So sort of along these lines, so we've actually been talking about James Bogue from Wild Cards quite a bit. He is a gunslinger, an intimidating gunslinger played by uh, Dom Zook. And um, Dom does not always feel that he can come up with interesting, intimidating things to say. He's a big teddy bear. He's he is. He's a softy teddy bear. And he also doesn't trust himself with stuff like that, which I get. That's hard. That, like, yeah, for me, it's very that's hard. intimidating, you know? There's a, very, there's a very thin line, I think, between something that sounds cool and badass and something that kind of yeah. rings hollow and weird. Yeah. And it can, be, it can be intimidating to put yourself out in that way and be like, I'm going to say this. Does everyone think that sounds cool? <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah, and and this is the opportunity. Like you know, so say say Donzok does something, and and the GM goes, really, okay, that that's what that's what he says. <laughs> well, do you think that Dom is ever going to try that again? No, probably not, because now he feels like you know this comes back to feeling like you have an environment to try something, and this is the opportunity to utilize the dice rolls. Like J James Bogue has a high intimidation, so it's likely, very high. Yeah, it's likely that whatever if he if you make him roll it, that he's going to intimidate this person. And there's the opportunity for you, even if Dom Zook doesn't always have the exact perfect intimidating, even if his words don't actually intimidate you, it intimidates the character and the character gets to respond that way. And that is such a big deal. And you can do that in so many different ways. And it doesn't always have to be in a positive way. No. Sometimes, like, sometimes Jane Bogue fails his intimidation role and it's way better to have a character go, mm -hmm. really? Yeah. But there's a difference between between you, the GM, you, the person, essentially making fun of what the player just said, as opposed to the world reacting to the character. Right. Can we try something else? Okay. Can we use that same example of the guy wanting to uh, kill an orc uh, in a really cool acrobatic way, but rather than describing what he does, use the way the world reacts to show? Sure, yeah. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, so he wants to kill him in a really cool way. Yeah. So let's say that that the archer just did, the ranger just did what I said. Okay. And and the the uh, orc falls. And then what the way the, the world would react is you notice that, that uh, everyone else goes silent. And be- all battle around you has stopped. And you look around and you see that the rest of the orcs have put up their hands and are starting to back away because oh. they saw what you just did. Ooh, wow. Okay, so that's like a, that's a, that's narrative <laughs> uh, infringing on mechanical. Like, yeah, a little like, bit. Not yeah. only, not only well, have you done, that's the coolest acrobatic took, way you could kill someone. I took the meaning of what you said to be like one of the biggest things that can happen. I'm taking oh. this death blow. So I took ah, it I very see. big. I see. So uh, what I was thinking more along the lines of like, say you are a GM who has a hard time coming up with those cool descriptions of like, you run along the wall, flip over people and draw your bow and shoot them through the eye. Maybe instead you just go, okay, yeah, so you do this awesome acrobatic thing to kill him. And all of the other orcs, like, step back in alarm as as they get ready to rejoin the fight now that they know what you're capable of. Sure. So you haven't really had to do okay. anything yeah. to describe what the cool thing they right. did was. But you have shown that it will that it was cool because the rest of the combatants reacted to it like, whoa, what right. was that? Oh, we got to take this seriously. Right. Um, or which can be a shortcut to it, not describe anything. It can, yeah. Or it could be something like you have, like like your character, Howell. Uh, he's a big, strong guy. Who, mm-hmm. who just At this in point his... in the program, Megan has Sorry. indicated Garav Gulati. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's me. From Wild Cards. Uh, yes, so he's, he's a big, intimidating fighter. Big guy, right? He's not so, intimidating. Well, but he is in his stature. He may not be able oh, to sure. intimidate, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he is in his stature. So Jordan, like whenever you walk into a place, Jordan, or, or like you go up to talk to somebody, he might, as the marshal or the GM might, have somebody respond like, oh, hi, you know, <laughs> kind of like, okay, I'm talking to you, as opposed to, to, to like an instance of just being like, yeah, whatever, who, who are you? Well, that's my favorite thing to do with Howl, actually, because Howl has a, a pretty heavy negative charisma modifier. Yeah. And charisma modifiers are very important when trying to make first impressions on yeah. people. So even though Howl is a very nice guy mm-hmm. who just wants to help and, like, be and help the group, like, introduce themselves to people and get information from people, whenever you fail those roles um, as Howl, Garav, mm-hmm. I like to make it because you come across much more intimidating than you realize. But this, yeah. is a, this is an example, really, of what, what is essentially a negative to your character. But you're, you, you are allowing the world to react to you based on the character you created. Right. So it's allowing your character to, to blossom in that way, or, or, or you're getting to play an aspect of that character based upon the way the world is reacting to you, which to me is such a big deal. And that's, that's in a, could be perceived as a negative way. But flaws are just as much a part of your character potentially as your your positives or your strengths yeah um so that's another way that you are essentially supporting the character and it's also a way of again like we were talking about earlier we don't have writers we don't have directors or makeup people or personal trainers to make us look awesome right we just have what we can come up with on the spot and it's really kind of a crap move as a gm to undercut something that your player is trying to do because you think it's silly. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, we're all friends at the table, hopefully, and we can laugh at each other and have a good time and make jokes. But, like, when when you can tell that someone is legitimately trying to come up with something to do and you undercut it, like Megan was talking earlier, like, really? That's what you say to be intimidating? Mm-hmm. Especially if the die roll supports the fact that it was intimidating? Yeah. Right. Don't undercut that. Yeah. Find a way to make it work. But then Find, like, like, if they say something weird... To intimidate, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, that was that's an interesting choice, but it is intimidating. Find that NPC then maybe has some sort of weird trigger yeah. that, that that PC just kind of happened upon. <laughs> well, and the minute you undercut a player like that is the minute you lose them in the future. Yeah. It really is. Like, yeah, that... they'll be afraid to invest more yes. of their character in future sessions. Yeah. Like you were just talking about, Megan, that totally gets rid of that like safe space mm-hmm. kind of thing where people feel comfortable and trying things. Honestly, as a GM, don't let other players do that to players. Yes. Like create that yeah. environment because it can happen. And like we, we've talked about this before. It's really kind of interesting. There's, there's this interesting dynamic 
Uh, it's one thing because we're dealing with streaming shows, so we're kind of trying to create it in a different way. But whenever you're even at the table, as the GM, you're sort of, people kind of look to you. You kind of set, you set the tone. It's sort of like what you were saying. It's not that you control it all, but you sort of, based upon agreements of like, this is the tone and people kind of look to you. You have a, a bit of an a, authority at the game table in a sense. And you have the ability, and, and, and in my opinion, sort of a responsibility to try and, and help keep it be help keep the table the game a safe space for all players involved in my opinion a good gm leads by example not with edicts or not with like you know demands but they 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 show their players how they want them to play the game and the kind of environment they want to produce by acting that way like think back i'm sure many of you listening have played in games before or maybe you haven't but if you have think back to some of the game groups you didn't enjoy playing with maybe because there was sort of a negative vibe at the table and all the players were making fun of each other for like decisions that they deemed were stupid i bet in a lot of those cases looking back the gm was jumping in on that too because mm-hmm. if the, if a gm isn't doing that or if a gm is actively going like hey let's not do that it's not going to happen as much unless you have mm-hmm. some really really pig-headed people who are like no i'm gonna make fun of this <laughs> yeah. oh, right. uh, but on the other side of that it might be that your gm just is a little too afraid to say something to be shut down that way sure like maybe the majority of the table is joining in and making fun of something that the GM wants to be taken seriously, but you can tell that they're just not that kind of person to, you know, put up an argument about that kind of stuff. So maybe jump in and, you know, maybe ask them on the side, like, do you want me to help you with this? Like, should I, you know, try to keep the tone with you at the table? Because they might be too afraid and they might love someone at the at the table helping them do that. That's a good point, Garof, because we're talking a lot about GMs supporting players, but that is a way in which players can mm-hmm. support GMs at yeah. the table as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, so... so well, that actually, I think just along the lines of some of the stuff we were talking about in, in the way the world reacts, because there, there are a lot of different ways the world can react. It can be, yes, like I've made a role, like the intimidation, but it can also just be like you guys walk into town and the way that people look at the party, you know, based upon where they are in their journey. You know, like yeah. if they look at them like, you know, like they start whispering and they like run away, you know, that could yeah. be because the party is now infamous because of this, this or this, whatever. Or maybe they're treated like heroes and get a parade or something. Right, yeah. which could go the other way. You know? Right, it could be any amount of things, but all that kind of stuff just really adds to creating the world and really supporting the characters. But along those lines, I think it's really easy. It's sort of what we're saying. It's really easy to to, to feel like, well, then I need to make sure that my char- that the characters are always succeeding. Well, that's not true, in my opinion. If 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 you don't, if you're not challenged. If there's not the potential to fail sometimes, then those successes don't mean anything. And mm-hmm. I've played in both kinds of games. I played in the kind of game where everything we did was great and won and was perfect and it was boring and I hated it. And I've also played in the game where everything I did was stupid and was made fun of and I hated that. <laughs> you know, neither one of those things are great. There is a, a, a balance of challenge that you have to find. And it is okay for these characters, these characters that we are, as GM and as players are trying to support, you know, the the player who created this character, we wanna help bring it into reality. Um, but it is also okay for that character to fail because that's what happens. Right. Making making a character sound cool and heroic and awesome is different than making them succeed at every single thing they attempt to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we, the the best stories about characters and heroes that we care about are the ones where we get to watch them overcome adversity. Mm-hmm. You know, they get they get defeated, they get knocked down, and then they keep going, they come back, and they win. Like, mm-hmm. those are the stories we, we like. And those stories need challenge. You yeah. can't... You, while, while it can be tempting to feel like you just want to give your players what they want all the time, that's not really what your players want. Your players, deep down, even if they say otherwise... I'll, I'll say with some hesitancy, um, <laughs> want to feel like they earn the things that yeah. they're given. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, yeah, they want to feel like they're through, you know, the, the, what their, their character skills are, the choices they made is why they succeeded, not just because you handed it to them. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's not fun. And, and that honestly is a hard line to walk. It's not easy. And to me, all of this, all of it comes back to communication. Honestly, the most important aspect to me of any game is communication. Because if you have a clear communication and expectations from your players and vice versa, then there's always the opportunity to go back and talk to them and go, 
hey, am I giving you what you're looking for? Or, or, or the opposite, the player feels hopefully that they can come to you and go, hey, I would like to do more of this with my character or, or I feel like we're not doing enough of this or whatever it might be. Uh, really, because I think it's very easy very easy to go too far one way or the other when you're coming when it comes down to challenge. Yeah, and, and that's why even games like so you think about D D, which has rules for encounter balancing. Sure. So um you know like if if you're part I mean I'm thinking in terms of three point five because that's the one I have the most sure. experience with, but you know you had like challenge ratings. So like a CR five monster would be good for a party of level five characters. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that what you want to do is throw only challenge rating five encounters at them all the time. Yeah. Even even those books that have those balancing rules in their DM's guide will often tell you, like, sometimes throw low-level encounters at them so they can mow through them and feel like badasses. And sometimes throw higher-level encounters at them so they can go, oh, holy crap, this is too much. We need to fall back and regroup. Or they can be clinging to life and destroy this thing, and maybe some of them even die, but it's such an accomplishment that they were able to overcome it. Mm -hmm. But the the point is there that it's a bell curve, essentially. You want the, the primary amount of things to be within their challenge rating area, or their encounter level, or whatever it is. And then every now and then, you throw something that makes them feel overwhelmingly powerful at them, and every now and then you throw something at them that makes them feel outclassed and barely able to succeed. Mm -hmm. Like, that that's what we mean when we say balancing challenge. It's not always everything is right in the middle. This this is level appropriate for you all the time. Sure. Right, yeah. And you can use that challenge to even like tell a story. Like if they fight something that they the whole town is like, you guys have you know defeated those bandits. Now you can go kill this troll, and they're like, yeah, we could probably take a troll at this point. Everyone and says we can. Everyone says we can, and we're pretty good. So I think uh, we're good. We're good to go here. I mean, we're level two now. Yeah, and and they go fight this troll, and they find out not only is it a troll, but it has like a magic item that they weren't prepared for. It's a much smarter troll, or something. Something is different than they weren't expecting, and they get totally beat. Uh, maybe they run away. Maybe someone dies, but. Make it so that they have an out at this point, but have them figure out a way to beat that troll and come back later. Like mm -hmm. have them have them uh, challenge him again when they're ready on their terms and feel what that accomplishment feels like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. For sure. But it, it's about it's about varying the challenge. So sometimes sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's really hard. Yeah. Sometimes you know they they struggle but succeed. Um. And and not no one wants a GM who makes everything insanely difficult. Yeah. That's frustrating. Yeah. 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 Neither does everyone want a GM who's like it's five more goblins. Right. Like yeah. really, we're level twelve. Yeah. Like oh no, but these goblins have several wands on them. It's like <laughs> cool, more loot. But come on, we can do more than just goblins. Yeah, I, I really think at the end of the day, when you're trying to support your players, it's it's about approaching your game as I want to help my players be successful in what they're trying. Not they always win everything, but it, to me, it's the it's the comparison between approaching it adversarially, like it's me against the players, yes, as opposed to cooperatively, as in we're all doing this together. And I would say it's not even so much I want my players to be successful at sure. this. It's I want I want my players to feel like they are living through an interesting story. Yeah. Right. And an interesting story sometimes but, has failure in it. Right, but I think what I mean when I say that is it's approaching it in the cooperative sense, not the adversarial. Yes, sense. absolutely. That's really what I mean because if you if you if you sit down and and you approach it as like okay I gotta you know I'm we're, I'm up against these guys yeah. and I gotta figure you out you versus how to, them yeah then it's gonna be a lot harder to do these things. It's just that that little it's it's amazing how much mindsets like that make such a huge difference. Yeah, be on their side. Yeah, and to tell the story. And I think that's really sort of like the the one like mantra, the one central bit of all of this advice when you're trying to support your players remind yourself as a gm yes. that you are trying to support your players right. you are there to support them and make the story feel really cool make them feel cool and noteworthy in the world good or bad yeah. the things they do have impact and repercussions yeah and i know that there there i feel like is a contingent in the world that likes adversarial gming and you know what if, if that's your thing more power to you but sure. for the most part any adversarial jamming I've experienced does not end well. And you can, like, I, I can totally see you being goaded into it, where your player is like, yes. come on, is that all you got, GM? Like, but sometimes you got to put the fear of the DM into them. Like, I get it. But remember that you're always supposed to be helping them tell a good story. 
Right. To me, there's the difference. Really, the difference there is ego. Yes. Yes. <laughs> is really the difference, which I get because I have a lot of things I'm prideful about. Totally get it. Yeah. But I think it's about it's not it's not like your character versus their characters. You're creating things to help their characters instead, whatever that looks like, whether that's by challenging them or helping them. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a really easy it's an easy thing to 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 kind of um, not mess up, but just to misstep on or kind of go too far one direction or another it's easy but that's why i think a good good communication at the table can really help with that and and i i think one one final note on adversarial gming at least it's real easy to kill your players anyone can kill a table of players yeah. that that is n no difficulty at all you're you are the god of your game so you can drop whatever the hell you want on them right so what yeah, you can make a trap go off that does, you know, 800 points of damage. Great. That's easy. It's way harder to challenge them and 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 help them than it is to just be like, ha, poison gas. Right. Un, Unexitable room. Yeah. <laughs> you lose. Good luck. Yeah. Well, I feel like we covered that topic pretty thoroughly. Do you think we covered it pretty thoroughly? I think we didn't. Do you think maybe it's time to move on to... The, the question, question of the sode. 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 Today's question of the sode comes from the RPG subreddit and from user WJ McGuffin. Cool. And the question is, what are your buy or no buy elements when looking for a new RPG? Uh, WJ McGuffin says, I'm always ready to buy a new RPG, even though I have several billion that I've never played. That got me thinking. Do you all have any game elements? that either make you buy a game or avoid it. For example, I hate RPGs that don't include an introductory adventure. I want to see what the designers think an adventure for this game should look like. If I see an intro adventure, I'm much more likely to buy the game. Do y'all have anything like that? I we, we were kind of discussing this beforehand, which is kind of interesting, because I don't have as much experience. I've not really bought a lot of different RPGs. I don't have as much experience essentially shopping for them. But just thinking about if I were if I were going to go to a store and, and go, I'm going to choose one RPG today, what is going to help me do that? And it's probably going to be the way it looks. Because uh, interesting art or an interesting premise is always, because I'm a visual person and I like art and things like that, is going to jump out at me because to me that sets a tone and tone is one of the most important things. Mm -hmm. So first of all, and, and granted there's a difference between like a basic system and then a system that essentially comes with a setting. Those are two different things. I, by, Based upon what I just said, most likely I'd end up with a system and a setting because I'm going to be interested by the tone which is going to be associated with a setting. Yeah. Um, so that's probably what I would end up with. And then I find it very difficult to read rules, rule books. So it would be really important to me that it was set up in some sort of, some sort of way that was very easy and plain to see kind of all in one place. Most likely I would want one that was a thinner book over a bigger book because I would go, okay, there are less instructions for me to have to figure out. Sure. And then also, yeah, I think I would look for something that wasn't what had enough crunch, but not so much that I feel like I'm drowning. So like <laughs> if you see a huge book and you open it up and it's just page after page of tables and charts and yeah, stuff, no, I'm gonna put that you're going to be like, nope, not my kind of game. This is a textbook. Yeah. yeah. So, so your don't buy basically is I, any game that looks like a textbook. Honestly, am likely to buy something that has a lot of pictures. Descriptive, <laughs> honestly, descriptive, like pictures that and diagrams, like descript, what look like descriptive pictures, because I work better visually and sure. kinesthetically. Okay. Yeah. And it would, and and I can, if I can see it and and understand it in space, the way it would work out in space, I'm much more likely to be able to uh, digest that system, and that's a that's a big deal for me. I think it was fourth edition D and D. I think it was fourth edition D and D in their player's handbook in the com in the combat section. They had uh, like top down pictures of miniatures on a map to describe movement and stuff yeah. and in the maps. And I was like, that's a really good way of doing that. Yeah, because yeah, that totally. translates really well. That that would make a lot of sense. Because if I'm just looking at words, I'm like, okay, none of this makes sense to me. The the books that I've tried, I'm like, this seems really interesting, but I cannot keep track of what you just said, and mm -hmm. I have to read this over and over again, and I'm still not getting it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think the front cover and probably the back panel of a book is super important uh, mm -hmm. when you're shopping for one of these. And I think my my buy uh, definitely is looking at that and probably flipping through the pages for like a minute or so and just seeing a bunch of I do love like illustrations like you were talking about like miniatures moving and stuff. Uh, and also the introductory adventure is actually super helpful. But if they actually yeah. have a solo adventure for like the DM to run for himself. 
Like that's perfect for me because that's something that was in fourth edition. They did uh, a, a solo adventure where you can just play by yourself and you fill out a bunch of stuff and roll dice. And that's super helpful for me running a game. And uh, if they have maybe a VHS video that tells you how to play that game, even mm-hmm. better, mm-hmm. like that Absolutely. one Absolutely. Like that one game. Yeah. Dragon Strike. Dragon Strike. I love Dragon Strike is what I'm trying to say. Buy it, everyone. It's great. It's $120 on eBay. Um, Buy it at your local half-price bookstore. <laughs> if you can find it. Um, but yeah, I agree with all those buys, for me at least. Uh, my don't buys, let's see if I have a hard don't buy. Um... If it's too big of a book, I think that's definitely a don't buy for me, regardless of how good it looks, because I just know how much time I have, and I just don't have the free time to read through this book or tell anybody else who I'm running a game for, please read through this book. I feel like the only way I would do something like that is if someone whose opinion I trusted was like, trust me, you'll really like it. Sure. Who would you trust to probably tell you. you that? Just me? Probably. Not Nailed me? it. And I'd probably be I... wrong. Yeah, you probably would. I I don't think anybody knows the way my brain works and what I can take in, really, except for you, Jordan. And even you don't entirely know because I don't entirely know. Sure. Well, no one really knows how brains work, so that's that's just so a neuroscientist might also be a good second second (laughs) choice. Um, My buys are uh, a lot of the stuff you said. So I I will say that interesting art or something like that is going to initially attract me to something. It's going to if it catches my eye, I'm going to look closer. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously something that I'm looking out for. But it's not a deal breaker for me. Um, I think more than anything else, what I'm looking for is a is an intriguing idea or a new take on something that immediately gets my creative energy flowing. It's like something where I can read just the synopsis of a game and start coming up with plot hooks and adventure seeds and stuff like that. That's what I'm looking for from a game system. Yep. Something that immediately sparks my and imagination. To me, that's really what the artist does for me. Right. Art just does yeah. that for uh, me. For me, it's like interesting concepts or things like that. Sure. So like, um, if any of you out there are wondering like, oh man, I really want to get a gift for Jordan from Experience Pointers, but I don't know what to get him. <laughs> and I have a bunch of disposable income. Um, please send me uh, a black cube of Invisible Sun, that game uh, from Monty <laughs> Cook that's coming out, because oh my God, I want that cube so bad. It's like $250, and it is filled with stuff. And you want to talk about a lot to read. I think it has like four or five books in it. But, oh, man, does that game just sound like such a trip. It's all set in this sort of like surrealistic world, and it just sounds freaking amazing. And every time I read about it and get disheartened because it's so expensive and then decide to forget about it for my own safety and happiness. But before I get to that point, I go, oh my god, there's so much opportunity for cool (laughs) stories in this world. Um, So a setting, I did the same thing with Deadlands. Uh, Like, Deadlands immediately spoke to me. But Jordan, you might be saying, don't you always talk about how awesome Savage Worlds is? And Savage Worlds is system agnostic. (laughs) Or a setting agnostic. It doesn't have a setting. So what do you latch onto there? Well, thanks very much, hypothetical person. Just asking yourself questions what i latch on to from savage worlds is the way that they talked about the freedom that the system gives you right that also sparked those sort of creative things for me and you said this earlier that's not the only thing because there are a handful of systems that are 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 a setting agnostic there are but after flipping through a book what i liked from savage worlds was the way they told me i could tell stories from that what I don't like, a don't buy for me, is anything that reads like a technical manual. Right. So there are some other really great systems that are uh, setting agnostic where you can play any kinds of game. But trying to read through those books, it's like trying to read through um, a, like an instruction manual for programming a some sort of weird electronic device. And I'm like, I don't... I don't get how I can make this fun. Isn't it really fascinating just talking about this? How many essentially marketing elements there are to oh, actually yeah. getting an RPG into somebody's hands? Yeah, 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 definitely. You know what I just thought of? My What's that? simple buy and don't buy. What's that? Usually, if this system has a monster manual that I can look through, like separate from the book or in the back of the book, and if those monsters look awesome, I'll just I'll just buy that. Because I could use those in any game. Sure. Even if I don't play that game, I just love a good monster manual. Spoken like a true GM. Like, mm, I just love looking at some monsters. <laughs> yeah, it, it is really interesting, those little things that kind of push you over like that. 
Because, yeah, I was thinking about, one, there was one RPG that I almost ran on saving throw that I really wanted to figure out, and I always forget the name of it. It's Faded Souls or something like that. Which, which Faded Souls? It's Faded Souls. Um, it has the coolest art. It's all about, it's, you play as witches. Everybody's a different type of witch, essentially uh, gaining power from a different kind of demon, and that uh, allows them to utilize different sorts of powers, and it works in different ways, and they have a different kind of agreement with their demon, which to me is just dark and wonderful, and the art was fantastic. It was so interesting. And I witch. Really, witch. Faded souls. That's what I said. Witch yeah. faded souls. Yeah. Witch faded souls. And it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's. It's. A, I think it's a Dutch. I think uh, the company or the people who wrote it are from uh, Denmark, I guess. Um, anyway, but I just, I have yet to figure out how to read it. It seems <laughs> cool, and I love the art, and I love the idea and the concept, but I haven't figured out how to learn the actual rules. I can't figure it out. Is it, it not out. in English? No. no. You just didn't enjoy reading the book. Oh, it's just rules, like, yeah, I, heavy. Yeah, well, It wasn't yes. well explained, is oh, what I got. Okay. At least well, not for Megan. Yeah, but the, the the thing that they did that was really cool is one of the first things they do is they, they tell a story. Oh, cool. So the first, like, there's, like, this book is, like, textbook size, but it's not that thick. It's thinner than that. Um, and one of the first, like, pages in, like, three columns is the story of these characters and the types of witches they are and what's going on. So you're learning, you're essentially learning about the different witches through the story, which is great. But I think what happened is... I think what it would do that and then it would go into explaining something. I think it needed to mix those two together in a different way for me. Uh, I don't know. I think what they did was great. Probably works for some people, but I have yet to figure out how my brain takes in that information yet. So sure. It's sure. just interesting. Yeah. But I'm super interested by this game system. Just haven't figured out how to actually do it yet. <laughs> so at a glance, those are our buy or don't buys. What, yeah. are, what are your yeah. buys or don't buys? I'd be curious to hear what everyone else has to say about this. So mm -hmm. if you have uh, strong feelings about what you're looking for from the RPG, if you're going to buy it, uh, tweet it at us at exppointerspod. Mm -hmm. on Twitter. We would love to hear from you guys. Yeah, send them over. And also, if you have any questions or uh, any topics that you would like us to discuss in a future episode, uh, tweet those at us too. That would yeah. be awesome. We'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah. Or send us your dogs. Send us your dogs. Yeah, we like those. Cats cats too, though. You can send cats. Send cats only to Megan. Send cat, yes. Which will also get to do They also go to me. Yeah. We like cats. I also like cats. All right, send us your cats. Cats are great. <laughs> they need, they're more independent. You don't have to take them for walks. All right, this isn't way. my favorite cat, the podcast <laughs> by Megan Caves Cow. They're independent. That's why I said oh, they're more independent. Said, oh, you said they're more dependent. No, dogs are more dependent. Guys, they need so much more. Guys, this is, before we, before <laughs> we really dive deep into this conversation, we should at least stop recording. Okay. okay. All right. So until next time, let's go. This podcast has been a Saving Throw production. You can connect with us on Twitter at exppointerspod, and you can follow each of the hosts on Twitter at their respective handles. Jordan is at Jordan Callerman, Megan is at Megan Caves, and Garab is at DoubleGXG. You can also watch us streaming RPGs and more at the Saving Throw Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash savingthrowshow. If you want to listen to new episodes of this podcast early, consider becoming a Saving Throw Patreon backer. Patrons at the $10 and up level can listen to new episodes a week early. You can also help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you found it to get the word out. Thanks for listening.